Secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Kara Malik holds an MFA in digital animation from The Ohio State University and now supervises DreamWorks Character Technology Team, the area responsible for the rigging of animated characters in all studio productions. She's worked on films like How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3. Welcome to Craft, Kara Malik. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you will be in town on April 23rd, Sunday, at 3 o'clock to talk at the Ohio State University's Science Sundays Symposium about How Would a Dragon Fly? The Science and Art of Rigging Animated Characters. So maybe we can start off with, tell me a little bit about what rigging is and how you do that. Absolutely. So in animated films, uh, we don't have actors, of course. We're working with digital characters, and so... Those characters um, that you see in every shot of the film are actually these digital puppets that we create inside the computer. Um, And what a rigger does is we build that puppet that has a set of controls, muscles, joints, bones inside that help it move in a very particular way. And we provide that digital puppet to the animators who will then uh, use it to do the acting in each scene. So you use the term digital puppet. Help me understand the difference between mm-hmm. um, a traditional, say, character that's drawn and something that you're doing, because I assume that what you're doing is through code? Um, yes. So it's uh, it's through some proprietary software that we have at the studio. But um, yeah, we have tools that help us uh, create this digital character. Um, and uh, it it's similar to the way that characters would be drawn in 2D animation in that you're still kind of uh, creating different poses over time of this character to act out um, certain emotions and scenes and say dialogue. But the difference is instead of drawing it on paper, of course, you're, uh, you're creating those movements inside the computer. So it's a little bit more restrictive in that you're working with something that has a, um, a particular like shape and a particular set of controls. You can't just draw any line that you like, but you're kind of posing the character. Um, a lot like if you've ever seen some behind the scenes uh, footage of stop motion animation, where they have some character made out of clay or some sort of armature that you're moving around and posing. It's basically like that, but inside the computer instead of in the real world. Okay. What's your relationship with people who do drawing? Uh, is there a, a, like a friendly rivalry between the two of you? Do, <laughs> do they see uh, one as replacing the other? What's that profession like? I think it's a very friendly relationship. I think there's, uh, we understand that there's um, things that you can do in either medium that you can't do in the other. So, you know, there's pros and cons and there's certainly a huge respect among um, the computer animation industry for all of the 2d animation that kind of laid the groundwork and the foundation for what we do today it's amazing what they were able to do on paper by hand and um the things that we're doing now in a lot of ways are trying to emulate some of the the tricks and the cool stuff that they were able to do back then Mm -hmm. so now that you supervise the dreamworks character technology team how much do you get to do uh hands-on rigging as opposed to working with people to create the rigging? Um, Not very much. Um, It is more of a supervisory role at this point, but I do get in there and and get to kind of play around with characters and test things from time to time and um, kind of, you know, stay up on, on the rigging technology that way. How many people are working as character riggers at DreamWorks? 
Um, I think right now we have somewhere around 35. Um, the numbers kind of fluctuated over the years. We've been up to more than 90 at one point in time, and now we're kind of back down to around around 30, 35, I believe. What makes the fluctuations just different projects at the time? or? Yeah, um, over the years, the studios had different goals and sets of ambitions when it comes to our release schedule. And when we were at the point where we were trying to release five movies every two years, we were kind of working on, you know, anywhere from three to five movies at a time. And so that was probably the, the biggest team we had. Walk me through your work on how to train your dragon, for example, um, which were you in a, a supervisory role then or were you doing more no. rigging? Um, I was a rigger then. Um, How to Train Your Dragon was my second film at the studio, actually. Um, And so I was, uh, at that point, my responsibility on the film was, uh, I did a lot of hair setup for the kind of, we call them generic characters, but kind of the men and women that you'd see in crowd scenes, like big, big crowds of people. I did a lot of the rigging for the hair of all those Vikings, um, as well as I was responsible for the two-headed dragon in How to Train Your Dragon. Um, that was a particularly fun challenge character to rig. Now, when you're in charge of hair, for example, mm-hmm. and I say this as a completely bald man, <laughs> what sort of uh, research do you have to do? Do you have to go out and take a lot of pictures of hair? Do you talk to people who know how hair flows? Do you look at videos of hair? What's the background for that? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um you know, we've we've done a lot of movies at the studio at this point, and so we kind of have a lot of internal reference that we can use, videos and, and even characters that have been kind of set up before that we can use as reference. Um, but depending on, you know, the particular challenge of the movie and what we're trying to accomplish, I was trying to work on a system for putting, putting on and taking off helmets, Viking helmets. Um, so I did have to do a little <laughs> little kind of brainstorming and research in that vein kind of we actually had some viking helmets uh plastic ones at the studio and so we'd kind of have i'd have people with different hairstyles kind of put them on and take them off and see how the hair reacted to uh to that kind of compression and mm-hmm. um yeah kind of use that as reference i was really hoping to hear that you had a whole collection of medieval armor and things like that that you could take on and off to see how it impacted <laughs> That you know your hair and things like that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember, um, and I, I believe this is Disney, but Monster Zinc Sully's hair was uh, one of the things that was amazing the first time I saw mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah. my my kids are huge fans, or were, when they were younger, were big fans of How to Train Your Dragon. And I, oh. I remember, you know, enjoying that movie and thinking uh, it was a really clever, interesting take on dragons. They did go through a phase in which they wanted dragons, not <laughs> helpful. I'm just no, I'm <laughs> kidding. So what kind of decisions did you make about how the dragons would fly and move in How to Train Your Dragon? Well, the fun part about the dragons in all of our dragons films is just the, the diversity of species that the art department kind of came up with and, and gave us to work with. So um, the different dragons all kind of fly and, and move in different ways. Like Toothless, the big black kind of main character dragon, he has kind of these big bat-like wings that fold up and expand and um, and the, the texture and the movement of that is very bat-like. But then we also have uh, dragons like the uh, the Gronkle, this little kind of short stumpy dragon that has these little tiny wings that kind of flutter around like uh, hummingbirds. They do this little like figure eight, little quick um, high frequency flap. And so um, 
it's really fun to kind of find analogs in real life that we could kind of use as inspiration for how these imaginary creatures move. How much of aerodynamics goes into decisions like that? I mean, I've heard people say things like, you know, a bumblebee aerodynamically shouldn't be able to fly. Right. And yet it does. And so, yeah. you know, you look at, at things like the dragons and say, well, how realistic do we need to be if we still don't believe that a bumblebee should be able to fly? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's not about uh, necessarily things that would, would work in the, you know, physically in the real world, but something that, that comes across as believable. And so I think, yeah, the big gronkles with those tiny wings, I don't think there's any way they would actually fly in real life. But, uh, but we try to, you know, we try to put in enough reference to something that you might be familiar with or feels like, uh, you know, feels natural so that you might believe that it's, it's possible. What's been your most challenging character to rig to date? Which one did you look back on and say, man, that one is really the most difficult thing that we have done? Um, well, uh, me personally, I guess the, the two-headed dragon that I worked on for How to Train Your Dragon was uh, a pretty crazy challenge just in what the requirements were from the animators. They, they have this character with this really these two really long necks, and they wanted to be able to have the, the two necks come together kind of like a zipper, like zip from... Um, from the base of the neck down to the head and trying to be able to give them independent control of both heads and both necks, but then also zip them together and be able to control them together. It was kind of a tricky mathematical challenge to give them all of the the control that they were after in that particular character. Mm-hmm. Is I, I'm assuming that you can't go back and say it can't be done to the, <laughs> the animators at a point like that. No. Is there a negotiation that goes on in which you say, well, um, another way to do it might be yeah. this? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, all of our requirements kind of stem from the story and from the, the storyboards and the script. And so, um, you know, if there's if there are things that are particularly challenging, we can always try and come up with uh, clever kind of workarounds, like maybe we could have two different rigs and one of them, you know, is the heads together and one of them is the heads separated. And maybe we just won't ever see that actual zipping action. We can just kind of cut away and come back or, mm-hmm. you know, try to come up with kind of clever things. One of the things that we always go back to is um, Madagascar. Um, that movie was a very cartoony film and it had characters that had to do all this broad, crazy motion. And we actually came up with a rig for what we called the stunt tongue. That would that you could put into a character that would have to do some crazy, you know, tongue like unrolling and falling down on the floor or something like that. We didn't want to put all that complexity into every character, but we had the stunt tongue you could pop in if you needed it for any particular shot. Mm-hmm. That must be an odd experience to have to come up with names of things like that. You know, here's the stunt tongue, here's the, you know, detachable finger and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Do you find at, uh, when you're trying to describe your work to people and you have to fall back on a reference like that, that it, it helps them to understand or they come away, you think, believing that maybe your job's a little crazy? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. Okay. There's definitely a, uh... There's definitely meetings that I have sat in at, on at DreamWorks that we talk about things that I would never have imagined, like, yeah, the the color and texture of an ogre fart or you know, <laughs> things, things along those lines that 
you never thought you'd have an intellectual conversation about, but you have a bunch of really smart people sitting around in a room saying, well, is it, does it have a color? And would you, you know, would you be able to see it or just sense it? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty surreal job sometimes. It's a great job to go back and share with your family at the end of the day and say, you know, uh, what, what do you guys think? And throw it out and see if they agree with all those smart people in the room. Say, children, if they agree with uh, what that would would look and what sort of sensation that would have. Well, Karen Malik, I thank you very much for talking to me today. And I'm really looking forward to you being in town on April 23rd with the Ohio State University's Science Sundays and your talk, How Would a Dragon Fly? The Science and Art of Rigging Animated Characters. Well, thank you. Hey there, craft listeners. Like what you just heard on the show? I'll host a live show at Wild Goose Creative on Tuesday, April 18th at 8 p.m. I'll have live readings of original short stories, a live interview with Lena Maria Ferreira, book giveaways, music, and anything else I can cram into it. That's Tuesday, April 18th at Wild Goose on Summit Street. More information is available at crafttheshow.com.